2: Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store.
3: I think it was literally like as I was laying on the table, I finally just, I, I just decided, like, by giving myself the grace to just sit in the mess, um, in the worry, in the anxiety, and getting through that situation and realizing that there was there was no nothing I could have done. It just it made me stronger.
1: Thanks for listening. This is U-Turns, a podcast about change. And sometimes in order to change, we need to get more organized. So
4: today, that's what we're going to be talking about. I'm Lisa Oz. And I'm Jill Herzig. And we are here with Emily Lay. And Emily, I'm, I'm so excited to have you with us um, because I feel like you are this really wonderful advocate for a certain kind of balance between organization, as Lisa said, and letting it go. Um, so I, I can't wait to hear what you have to say about that.
3: <laughs> Thank you. Thanks um, for having me.
4: Yeah, absolutely. You are the best-selling author of Grace Not Perfection. And uh, also, Emily is the creator of The Simplified Planner, which you may, our listening, listeners may already be using because they're incredibly popular. Um, and she's also a designer and a brand coach. Um, and It seems like just all-around great girlfriend material. (laughs) You can
1: tell what a great designer she is. The books are so beautifully put together. Thank you so much.
4: They look like nothing else out there. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. And they're so incredibly appealing. And it seemed to me, reading both books, um, that you've kind of had two U-turns, and they were Mm -hmm. kind of the same U-turn. You just had to make the same U-turn twice. (laughs) You You know, I
3: feel like I've had multiple, yes, multiple U-turns. You know, um, I'm a busy mom. I have a seven-year-old and two three-and-a-half-year-olds. And I started my company just so I could have flexibility as a mom. That was it. I just started it on the side in my guest room and thought, you know, maybe this will draw me out of my corporate role that I was in at the time and give me some flexibility to be the kind of mom I want to be when we have kids. And it just grew. And grew and grew and over the years I've had to at multiple points um kind of have that gut check and say, Okay, it's time to change the different direction because we're not living by why we started this thing in the first place. And if the whole purpose here, the whole mission, the way I want to live my life, the legacy I wanna leave for my kids is that I was that that type of a mom, that available mom, um, then I gotta I gotta constantly be looking to change direction when it gets out of hand.
4: So um Let's start with that first U-turn that first time when you came to that realization when things got out of t- out of hand. I think you called it the terrible summer of 2013.
5: <laughs> <laughs> it's so ominous, right? <laughs> yeah. We
3: we refer to that around here in like capital letters because it was just so bad. Mm. Um, I was a new mom and I had this precious little baby that I had gone through a really rough pregnancy and lots of scary stuff and he was born perfectly healthy but I um, just got really busy and started to have health problems that at the time I thought could be something horrible. You know, I was having things like my, I was losing my hair. Mm-hmm. Um, I was having heart palpitations. I was just having all of these like weird health issues that I couldn't, you know, I couldn't chalk up to everything. And Dr. Google, by the way, told me
4: I was dying <laughs> at every turn. Mm, yeah, um, Very reassuring, but, Dr. Google.
3: Oh yeah, Dr. Google. I don't <laughs> him. But my, uh, my anxiety was just so out of control and I was stressing my body to the point of actual physical problems. And I didn't know it, but I actually ended up, um, in an MRI scanner, having a brain scan mm-hmm. after meeting with a neurologist and telling him that everything was wrong. Uh, and it was when he was reading the scans that he said to me, you're fine, but you're not going to be if you stay on this track you're going to have an actual health problem to deal with. And it was just this huge wake up call to me that even though the things in my life I was committed to, like volunteer things or, you know, extra work projects, or, you know, we had this huge, um, just this huge business that was just growing and growing and growing. I had said yes to absolutely everything, but I had said no to myself. And so it was a gut check for me to pump the brakes, make some big decisions and really pare back. And, um, my, that's my life's lesson. I constantly am like hitting the gas and then pumping the brakes and trying to rein it in. And remember, we only get one shot at this, you know?
4: Hmm. Yeah. Do, you get, do you get better at it, at recognizing before, you know, physical breakdown happens that, you know, was it easier the second time to say, wait, I got to pull back the business a little bit? This is getting crazy?
3: It was. The, you know, the second time I kind of reached that point of needing to make a big change was in late 2016. And the business had grown to be carried in almost 800 stores around the world, which sounds great to say, you know, but I was on 48 airplanes that year. And it was just, I had one-year-old twins at home. Like Mm. it was just too much. And at that point, when I kind of reached that breaking point again, yeah, I really feel like I had developed this intuition of, I know this feeling. I know my, the signals my body is giving me to say, we can't keep going like this. And I know that, that mental wellness that I'm lacking because I had found it in the in-between. And so in the summer or the late 2016, um, little episode, I guess, that was when we decided, you know, maybe it means we live a different lifestyle. Maybe it means that we make big changes, but my team and my husband and I decided we were going to cut that wholesale program. And you know, start focusing on the things we really cared the most about. And that was developing community directly with our customers. So um it made a huge difference. It freed me up to take care of my body, to take care of my kids, to sleep. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Um,
1: it, it seems yeah. like this is, this paring down is a major theme for you and probably yeah. should be for all of us. Um, getting rid of the things that aren't serving you. And right. you address it as clearing out clutter. And it's, yes. and I look at where you are and your space is so pristine mm-hmm. and just beautifully aesthetically yes. curated or necessary. This beautiful view right. of you on <laughs> Skype and everything Thank around you
4: but <laughs> is lovely and organized. So and- you
1: talk about, in order to be able to achieve the things that we want to and to preserve our sanity and health, You not merely getting rid of the clutter in your house, but the clutter in your work life and the clutter in your mind. Can we talk about clutter?
3: Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think one of the things that we often don't realize is that clutter sometimes good things are clutter, right? Like maybe we have commitments that we're committed to that are good or commitments and things we're doing that earn money. Just because things are good or just because we can earn money doing them or things like that doesn't mean that they're absolutely necessary right now. Um, Learning to say, like, you are a good thing in my life, you know, a physical thing or a commitment or something like that, you're a good thing, but not right now, has been completely and totally life-changing for me. Um, And something that I've realized is that when we carve out those things that are not what we always use the the uh, phrase, best, favorite, necessary. If it's not the best, the favorite or the necessary, let it go. What we do is we make margin in our lives for the things that really matter and for us to ha- have time to be creative, to think, to love on other people. Um, that has been probably the most life-changing realization for me is that I have to make space in my life that's just empty. But a lot of times we get uncomfortable with that. And we think like, empty space on my calendar means I need to fill it. Or empty space on a shelf means I need to fill it with something. Um, but really, that's where the magic happens, you know?
4: Yeah. I mean, I think especially when we're going through times of change, that schedule filling, um, stuff buying, you know, that that kicks in, that desire to just fill up your time and,
5: you know, mm-hmm. keep yourself
4: busy Partly because there are big questions that need to be worked out, and they're they're hard. It's hard to sit down with those questions all by yourself in that little in that
1: margin that you've created. Yeah, but it's necessary. It, it is totally. If you could give us some tools on getting more organized, I can't tell you how many years I've been cleaning my closet. I'm, <laughs> and I'm not talking metaphorical here. My yes. actual closet, and I feel like. I'm getting rid of the same clothes every year. I don't know how it happens, but there have to be some they had con- babies. Yeah. they had babies. You no know, way, <laughs> <I feel>, right? <laughs> it's insane. Um, and the other thing happen that happens is if, if I um, use organizing as a way to prevent myself from doing something else. So yes. I'll, I'll say once I've cleaned my closet, then I'll be able to, to like you know buy some new clothes. Because, mm-hmm. and, and, or then I'll be able to focus on something else. I'll use that as a, procra- uh, organizing my closet becomes a procrastination technique. There has right. to be a more efficient way to get my closet and our lives <laughs> uh, in the material yeah. sense organized.
3: You know, we led this uh, thing on Instagram. We'd, we'd hosted the whole thing on Instagram and called it the Ruthless Declutter Challenge. And it was all about physically decluttering your space because I wholeheartedly believe that physical clutter equals mental clutter. So physical clutter in our homes equals more mess to clean up, equals more stuff distracting us. And when we take time to really be ruthless about it, that's when the magic happens. So we called it ruthless because you have to be that way. You have to go into your closet and take every single thing out. Don't try Mm -hmm. to go piece by piece and pick your way through because it'll take you six years to do it. Go in your closet, take every single piece of clothing out, every hanger out, every shoe, every everything lay it all on your bed or on your floor and then go piece by piece and be ruthless. And there's so much emotional connection to physical objects, especially, I love that you said closet because it's especially in our closets. (laughs) We'll pull out that dress and be like, oh, I'm going to wear this when I'm thinner or Uh, I bought these jeans and they were too expensive, but so I can't get rid of them, even though they don't fit my body type. Um, being ruthless about it and really ripping the Band-Aid does a few things. It helps us do it quickly. And it also just reshapes our thinking when we're shopping. I mean, I didn't anticipate that change in myself when I did this for the first time um, when I was writing A Simplified Life. But I realized after the fact that I would go shopping like I normally would. And I would be like, you know, I'm not in love with it. It's not best favorite necessary. And so, it's probably gonna go be decluttered one day. Why well, spend the money on it?
4: Uh, <laughs> you saw its future and it wasn't I
3: bright. Saw it. <laughs> I saved myself. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you just have to be ruthless about it. You gotta rip the band aid. So that's physical space.
4: We're gonna get to mental space when we come back from the break.
2: Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade
1: Before the break, we were about to start talking about mental clutter. We'd addressed physical clutter, but I don't think we really covered it. Well, i got so much crap, with junk yes. So.
4: <laughs> yes. Whatever. Yes. Well, I realized I did not ask you about something that I think is so important, which is that you do not believe in buying stuff to hold our stuff. And I mean— the container store is freaking out right now their stock is falling. <laughs> so yeah. so tell us about why you know why organizations shouldn't start by dropping, you know, several hundred dollars at the container store.
3: Oh yeah, cuz it's totally easy to walk in there and be like, I need hope. I'm going to buy all the little clear plastic containers. Yes. Um so okay, so caveat to that. I think it's great to do that but at a certain point. So What I always suggest is to start this process with the commitment that you will not spend a dollar, but you will take a piece of paper with you throughout the whole process of decluttering your home. So you start, say, I always say start in the kitchen because it's the hardest place to tackle. Start in the kitchen. And if you realize, you know, I need a basket to hold, you know, these particular items in the pantry, write it down. You need a basket in the pantry. And then you never know. You're in your guest room closet and you find (laughs) this random basket and you're like, this would be great in the pantry. And it's full of flip
4: flops, which you (laughs) don't need 15 of.
3: (laughs) Exactly. And then you move it and then you move it over. So then, you know, you get to the end of the process and you say, okay, I need a couple of baskets for my makeup drawer. I need a couple of, you know, big bags for the kids, stuffed animals or whatever. Um, And then you can be purposeful. You know the measurements. You know where they're going to go. You know what type. You don't just randomly go into the container store or someplace like that and (laughs) drop a ton of money on things that don't actually fit or you don't need.
1: Yeah, I have lots of those giant... Plastic things. Bins upon bins. right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I do find them very helpful though for things even that you're not sure that you thought you needed them for like ski clothes. What do you do with ski clothes in August? They're big. They're puffy. Right. And they take up a lot of space. You want them in your garage. Yes. (laughs) In a nice plastic container. Yes. Yes.
3: So true. You know, I think we also get sucked into the idea that we need like little bitty bins and baskets to take perfect pictures of them because it looks cute. (laughs) But like, let me tell you about the time that my son, who's seven now, he was three, and I got the great idea to color code his Legos. That was a terrible <laughs> idea. I spent <laughs> oh my like my afternoon sorting oh. through each little Lego. And I got finished with it and these little tiny containers had all these labels on them and they were so cute. And then fifteen minutes later it was a disaster. And, and you were mentally and spiritually on.
4: exhausted. Exactly. I was like <laughs> and i physically completely... exhausted probably too. Right. It's a lot of and Lego I just sorting.
3: Yeah, those big Tupperware containers, and that's what we store them in now.
4: They're all in a big box. Just a big mess. I remember my I used to wake up on the mornings where it was my husband's turn to wake up at 6 a.m. with the kids. I used to wake up at 6.05 because of the sound of him rummaging through the Lego bin. Because (laughs) the truth was that my husband loved playing Legos just as much as my children did. And had very ambitious designs at six in the morning. And so that sound will always be associated. <laughs> and the alarm clock. <laughs> and and you you alarm program program it was an alarm clock breaking through phone. the
3: Legos. <laughs> I love, I know that sound very well.
4: Yeah. So now we've dealt nice with life. our messy houses. Right. What about our messy minds? Yeah. Any, any, um, any hints for, you know, when your thoughts are all over the place and you just feel incredibly scattered um, and, it's, yeah. and focus is, is elusive?
3: Yeah. Well, two notes on that. Number one, I think that a lot of times we think when our mental space feels overwhelmed and stretched too thin and just jumbled everywhere, we think like, I need to go out and buy an organizer, or a planner. And I can say this, I make planners for a living, but a <laughs> lot of people will buy a date plan, and they'll be like, this thing is going to give me hope. I'm going to organize all my stuff in it, all my days, everything going on. And I will be centered and balanced then. But it's like the basket of flip-flops you said. If you have 17 pairs of flip-flops and you go to the container store and buy the little shoe racks and you think, this is hope, this is it. I'm going to organize my 17 pairs of flip-flops your problem is not that you don't have the right shoe organizer or the right planner or the right life organizer. Your problem is that you have 17 pairs of flip-flops, yeah, right? Yeah, <laughs> So, same can be said for mental clutter. We've got to take inventory of what we've got going on, what's swirling around in our heads, write it down. I always use a, um, a poster board and a Sharpie, and I just brain dump. Like, put everything down on the paper. So, what, kind,
4: what kinds of things would be on that poster board? Like...
3: Oh, my gosh. How long do you have?
4: <laughs> like, a to-do list? Or... Is it, like, yeah. all, the, all the responsibilities you've taken on? Like, class mom and, mm-hmm. you know, other volunteer work and something and, you know, online courses and all that stuff?
3: Yeah. It would be, like, um... I need to put more stickers into production. I need to make a dermatologist appointment. Uh-huh. Is the car actually flat or do I have a bad sensor in my car? Like all the, this is what's in my head right now. Mm. All those things that are just swirling in my head, get them all on paper. So something that's stressing me out, something that I'm worried about, something that I've been contemplating I need to talk to someone about, a friend I need to forgive, all of those things. Just get all those thoughts out of your head onto paper and then deal with them, whether it means uncommitting, saying no, uh, dealing with it, you know, just going through each one to the point that you feel like, okay, I'm a little, I'm a little bit lighter. But when we let them stay in our heads, it, it doesn't serve us at all. It just keeps mounting on top of itself, you know, and turning into more clutter and more clutter and more clutter until we crash
1: and burn. So I love the idea of putting it down on paper. I just never do. And part of it is the time that that takes. And how do you, as a mom of three little kids, um, carve out time to... Because honestly, if I had like three, five minutes, the first (laughs) thing I think of is not putting down all of my crazy thoughts on a piece of paper. How do you prioritize the time you need for yourself to become more... Clutter-free, emotionally, mentally lighter. Yeah, yeah.
3: Yeah. It's so hard. I mean, it's it's funny. I I always tell people like I I am not like the expert of all this. I'm living it like day to day. (laughs) 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 But I would say I I always have this urge to take things that are complicated and simplify them. So like when my life starts to feel overcomplicated, I have this drive where I feel like I got to fix it. Right? Like let's sit down and figure it out. So when my husband sees the poster board come out, he's like, there we go. (laughs) But, you know, I I think, I mean, as women, we put ourselves last so much. We, we sacrifice ourselves to the point to where it's just counterproductive. We pour out on our husbands and our kids and our jobs and our careers and our communities. And so often we don't fill our, our own wells, if you will. Um, and that leaves us totally empty. And I Honestly, I feel like it's like the plague of our time that we're all addicted to being so busy. And, and me too. Like I, I fight it all the time. Um, but what I've learned through the big changes I've had to make in my own life, and um, the U turns, like you said, I've had to, I've had to take, is that it's, it's worth it to pump the brakes, to stop, to look around and be like, is this what I want to be doing? Is this the life I want to be living? Or is there changes? Are there changes that I need to make? To get us back on track. Hmm.
4: You also talk about in your book um, your first pregnancy. And you you referenced it briefly at the beginning about how it was a really tough, it was a really tough pregnancy, and um even getting pregnant had its challenges. Can you tell us about that and what you learned from it, what you carried forward from it?
3: Yeah. You know, we I wanted to be a mom my whole life. And Um, It took us a long time to conceive our first, and um, his name is Brady. Mm -hmm. And um, when I was 18 weeks pregnant with him, well, they told me he was a girl, first of all. Uh, (laughs) So he was not a him at first. And at 18 weeks, they told me that he may have spina bifida. Mm -hmm. I didn't even know what that meant at the time. Um, And so I was out of town at the time. I raced home. We ended up going to a high-risk doctor who had very little bedside manner, um, who told me, you know, you're first of all, it's a boy. Um, Second of all, he doesn't have spina bifida, but I'm pretty sure he may have dwarfism. Mm -hmm. And I was like, what? What are you talking about? And he said, um, his long bones are measuring in the second percentile and his body is measuring in the 98th. And I was convinced that, like, there was something, some fluke wrong with the ultrasound or something that would just clear itself up and we could move on. And unfortunately, every single time that we went in, the diagnosis or potential diagnosis changed from one thing to the other to multiple things, um, potentially terminal. Like, we just did not know. Every time we went in, there was a space in his brain that shouldn't be there or his lung bones weren't measuring right or too much amniotic fluid, just all these things. And I spent the pregnancy I prayed for and hoped for for years, just downright sick with worry um, for this little boy. Yeah, you know. And then um, a week before he was due to be born, I was induced uh, at 40 weeks because they didn't want me to carry him too long. They were just really concerned. Um, this doctor he said to me, "I'll see you back in my office the day before induction, uh, just for one last scan." And I said. And it was honestly like the first time in my life, I felt like I was really brave. I said, I'm good. Like, we are just gonna let him get here and then we'll see what we're dealing with. And I'm gonna love him no matter what. And um, so I remember going in on February 16th, 2011, uh, pushed for an hour and a half, was in labor for 17. He wasn't coming that way. So we had a mm. C-section. And I remember being strapped down to the table, my arms to my side. I couldn't move. I couldn't, I mean, I remember hearing the doctor say, you know, you have this wrong and this wrong and this wrong and this wrong. And the nurses were, you know, taking notes and getting ready. And um, we didn't know if he was going to be healthy or if he was going to survive or what. And I remember her like shaking my hips and pulling and pulling him out. And I heard him cry and she came around the curtain and she said, he's perfect. He's healthy and his legs are really long. (laughs) (laughs) And I just... I mean, I think they knocked me out at that point because I just (laughs)
1: sobbed.
5: (laughs) I
3: don't remember much, but it was was such a life-changing experience because I always had this dream of the way things were supposed to go and they were supposed to go really perfect. Like I had a plan and if somebody would just listen to me, it was good. Um, And it, it didn't go that way. And it was the most beautiful story and I wouldn't have rewritten it any different way because I was changed through the whole process. And I think it made me a different and if her mom to him and he's like the tallest kid ever.
4: <laughs>
3: <laughs> he's wonderful.
4: <laughs> so so through that time you just eventually came to accept that whatever was going to happen was going to happen.
3: Yeah, it was I think it was literally like as I was laying on the table, I finally just I I just decided like whoever he's going to be, he's going to be however long we have with him or um however tall he is or anything, yeah. like he's who he's supposed to be. And I love every single inch of him. And, um, it, yeah, it just, it made me stronger.
1: So was that, was that sort of the beginning of your embracing grace rather than striving for perfection?
3: It was, I think in that situation. I had this perfect scenario written out in my head of the way that that pregnancy was going to go and delivery was going to go and all of that. And it didn't happen that way. And by giving by giving myself the grace to just sit in the mess, in um, the worry, in the anxiety, and and literally having the control stripped out of my hands, there was nothing I could do. I remember asking my doctor, like, can I eat something different? Can I exercise? Can I be on bed rest like what will help and he was like nothing you can do is going to change this and getting through that situation and realizing that there was there was no nothing I could have done but it was perfect anyway yeah it, it almost like gave me permission within the rest of my life to be like it's it's messy and it's hard and there's a lot going on and and I'm not perfect but there's so much beauty in that you know
1: Looking at you though, it doesn't look like you're embraced mess. I've got to say, you look beautiful. Your hair looks fabulous. Oh, she, she can only see
3: one side of my face; you don't want to see the other
1: side. <laughs> But does it? Does it? Is there? Do you have a philosophy where you do strive for your best self where you can, and you surrender the rest of it? Um because yeah. it certainly isn't you haven't just thrown up your hands and said, Okay, Sarah, Sarah, mm-hmm. you know, I'm going mm-hmm. to live in this this pile. Because yeah. that's not how you approach things. It doesn't appear.
4: It's it's no. like you calibrate it, you find this balance. But how do you find that balance?
3: I think it's about defining what good is, right? Like what's good, what's good enough, and what's also good, because that's a lot different than perfect. You know, perfect might mean nothing is out of place, nothing is imperfect, nothing is. There's no stray hair, there's no like fussy child, there's no nothing. Um, good to me is having a family that sits down and eats dinner together. We might not actually sit at the table. We might <laughs> sit on the floor and have pizza delivered, but that's good. You know, it's not perfect. It's not picture perfect even, but it's but it's good. And so for me, it's just been about defining like what's good. Good is that my house <laughs> we're selling our house right now because we're moving. And um, I have to get my house to perfect every single day. And it's so exhausting because we don't usually live that
4: way. <laughs> mm,
3: yeah. <laughs> we usually live in a state of good where like there's toys everywhere because I actually have living human beings in my house, you know? Um, perfect is a picture perfect home that could be in a magazine, but good means there's there's toys everywhere. There's laundry that still needs to be done. Um but it's good because the people that live here are connected and they feel like they can be at home, you know.
4: That sounds beautiful. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back.
2: Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade.
1: We were just talking about perfection and striving for perfection, and one of the things that struck me while you were talking was, I think societally, we went through a period, like the 50s, that Mad Men era, where everyone had to put on that that fake, perfect family appearance. Mm-hmm. And then it felt like we got out of it for a while, because mm-hmm. I never had that kind of stress of feeling like I had to be a, a perfect, or at least a perfect appearing mom, Mm-hmm. But it seems like now, once again, with the rise of Instagram and social media yeah. mm-hmm. and continuous judgment from the outside and the continuous competition between people to portray themselves as these perfect beings, it seems to me to have created a huge amount of stress to actually, if we're not being perfect, pretend to be perfect again. Yep. Mm-hmm.
3: I totally agree. It's it's social media. It's yeah. the highlight reel.
1: How do you, you, know? you deal with that?
3: Unsubscribe. Turn <laughs> 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 my phone off. I mean, I, I just, I can't. Um, I don't, I just don't follow people that make me feel that way. Um, even if they're my friends, you know, it's that whole ruthless thing. Protect, mm-hmm. fiercely protect what's important. And I just can't, I can't carry that, you know?
4: Clean out the closet of your social media. That's a, wow. That's a concept. Yeah, yeah.
3: We do this simplicity challenge every January, and it's thirty days of fifteen minutes or less, totally free activities that you can do to just quickly simplify something. And by the end of the thirty days, the idea is you just basically feel a little lighter. And that's one of the things we say is unfollow Friday. Like go and unfollow somebody uh-huh. who makes you feel strange. <laughs> you don't need to feel that way. You don't even have to follow your friends. It's okay. There, I have friends I don't follow on Instagram.
1: Do they call you out for it?
3: They haven't yet. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Maybe they don't know.
3: They might not know.
4: And do yeah. you let imperfection into your feed? I mean, do you let it sort Yeah, of, Yeah. The,
3: the most liked Instagram photo I've ever taken was my house after... I don't know how many kids had been here. But it was a lot. And there was just stuff everywhere. And I just stood and marveled at the ridiculousness of my house. And like, it was going to take me a week to clean up. And I took <laughs> a picture of it. It was terribly lit. It was at night took a picture and posted it and i don't even remember how liked it was but it was it was picked up by like people who wanted to interview me about the concept of sharing something like that it was so popular and i was like this is weird that this is like so not such a novel idea to share our actual real lives on that, social media.
4: that is very weird well i think yeah. we crave authenticity yeah, yeah. 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 and 100%. and um and how do we get that to catch fire this idea of of posting a little bit more of our chaos, I mean, we obviously all that was post
1: bad pictures. That's what we'll do.
4: Yeah, we yeah. Do. Be messy <laughs> pictures. Seriously, I mean, I think it's a good idea. I, I yeah, uh, I have many I can I can <laughs> throw up there <laughs> right now. Although you don't really take a picture of it if it doesn't seem picture perfect. That it would have to be a whole habit, a whole <laughs>
0: yeah.
4: change it, it's, in.
3: It's a mindset. I feel like that's part of the success we've had as a brand is that people feel like they connect to us in a real way. And so posting something like that and having that connection with so many people who wrote on it was funny. I actually did a home tour. We moved into this house about 3 years ago, 4 years ago, and people kept asking for a home tour. So I <laughs> my house was such a mess and Caroline had been running around with rolls of toilet paper and like unrolling them everywhere. And I said, okay, guys, we're going to do a home tour. And I opened my front door and started showing them just, just the mess that was everywhere. And people just thought it was so funny. And I, I just remember being so floored by the fact that that was like, that shouldn't be novel. That should be like every day, you know?
4: Yes. We're absolutely. all guilty, though. Absolutely. So um, it seems like, all right, I'm just going to own this. It's my feeling that the the job description for being a mom just constantly changes, and yeah. it changes and i find that i'm you know just as i'm mastering something i am a flop at the next phase mm-hmm. um and i guess i'm just wondering is th- is that just something to accept is, is should we all just accept that it's motherhood is full of u-turns and things you're unprepared for um because it is so hard when you feel like you're failing your kids because yeah. you're not ready for what's going on
3: yeah i mean minor itty bitty, but I, I ask my mom all the time, like when, when does the point come when I feel like I'm doing something right or this makes sense? And she's like, I don't know, you're 35 and I still trying to figure it out. <laughs> so I don't know. I don't, I don't think it ever gets easier, but I think when we give ourselves permission to not, not be perfect mom. I mean, I saw something the other day on, it was on Instagram. Somebody said, uh, they had shared with their mother that their favorite meal she ever made was called little things meals. And it was when she had taken like dried cereal and nuts and fruit and <laughs> cheese and like thrown it together on a plate and they got to eat in front of the TV. And she told her mom that was her favorite. And she was like, What are you talking about? Those were the nights where I like failed you. I mm. I didn't plan anything. I have I didn't have the, I didn't even have the energy to talk to you. So I put mm. you in front of the television with this plate of whatever was in the pantry. And it was funny because that was so special to the kid, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Like, uh, there's the grace in it all. She was making memories and she
4: didn't even know.
5: There's the grace. She didn't
3: even know. I mean, every Friday here, including tonight, we have pizza parties on the floor. I order pizza from Domino's. We sit on the floor. We eat it. And that's it. And And everybody loves it. And they love it. They think (laughs) it is so special and that mommy works really hard to do it. And really, I just don't want to cook another thing because they want to eat three times a day.
1: <laughs> I'm exhausted. <laughs> How dare they?
3: Right? Totally.
1: Part of a simplified life is living intentionally. What mm-hmm. What are some of your techniques to make sure that you're living with intention?
3: That is a great question. Um, it is a gut check I have been asking myself lately. Actually, um, you know. I think living with intention means that we kind of have a, not a plan in place, but a goal in mind, like legacy driven, like what kind of legacy do we want to leave our kids? And I know that seems like a big, like giant word and how does it relate to everyday stuff? But, but thinking like, ah, the legacy I want to leave my kids is one of faith, of connection, of groundedness in family, um, when I think about that kind of thing, and I constantly draw myself back to that, I'm able to make those everyday decisions from that place. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm.
4: Mm-hmm. It's almost like having a list in front of you every time you're feeling yeah. lost. Like, is this consistent with right. these ideas that are really important to me? You mentioned gut Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned faith. It's very important to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, can you speak a little bit about? the role of religion in your life and, um, you know, how that, how that plays into all of this.
3: Yeah, totally. Um, we're, I'm a Christian and, um, I wasn't raised like going to church every Sunday. It was, my family was Christian and we believed those things. We talked about them a lot in our home. Um, but I think it gave me this unique perspective of how much of that should drive your decisions and how much of that lives in your heart day to day. And so, um, yeah, I mean, that's just the place that I make decisions off of. So when we talk about intention, that's the place I come back to um, of just always making decisions from a place of wanting to raise my kids to believe in something bigger than they are. I mean, if my kids are anything like me, they might be driven toward perfection. They might (laughs) live with a little anxiety. Um, And I want them to have that to fall back on. Uh, I want them to have that to be grounded into.
4: Yeah. Are they like you, your kids? You see that? They're they're so different.
3: It's so funny that like three kids can come from the same two parents and be raised the exact same way. And they're so different. My oldest is so sensitive and sweet and very, very smart. It just, he's wonderful. My my twins, um, my oldest twin, Tyler, is feisty, like really scrappy. And we like love that about him. He's also, we say he's made out of marshmallows and honey because he's just so sweet, and then Caroline is just a little spitfire, and i she's different than me, and I couldn't love that more about her that she's like she is not gonna take no for an answer. she has a plan she so she might be a little bit about me or a little bit like me, but she <laughs> uh she's just she's wonderful, she's beautiful and smart, and um they're just great, but yeah they're I think they have they have a little bit of me in them. <laughs>
4: I hope so. Emily, <laughs> it has been so great talking to you.
1: Thank you so much.
4: Yep. Sure. And and our audience, uh, you can follow and connect with Emily Lay on Instagram at Emily Lay, that's L-E-Y, on Twitter at Emily Lay or at EmilyLay.com. Thank, Thank you,
1: guys. Thank you. Yes, yeah, it's
4: been so, so fun. Nice talking to you.
1: You can connect with us at U-Turns Podcast. Let us know your stories of grace of struggle, of decluttering, and of striving against perfection, maybe just for good. See you next time.
0: burn at getsmartburn.com the lowest price anywhere that's getsmartburn.com don't delay transform your life with smart metabolic burn from brain md these statements have not been evaluated by the food and drug administration our products are not intended to diagnose treat cure or prevent any disease
7: are you feeling overwhelmed by anxiety struggling to find restful sleep or plagued by a restless inability to focus